Hi. Hi. I'm sitting down today. It's got lots of mean things to say, so, you know, no, not really. Lots of exciting things, but it does, I think I find when I sit down, it helps me to slow down, and that's probably good for me, so I can talk really fast. It's good. I really love you all. Just letting you know, this is an amazing church, um, because it's filled with amazing people. Uh, it's exciting. Hey, God's doing a, a lot of great stuff, um, even as a, as a leadership team. We're just, uh, we're just, as always, just opening ourselves up. God, what are you doing? What do you want to do? And, and just seeing the God's plans kind of unfolding and shifting and shaping things, and it's, it's really exciting. So I'll let you know, hopefully within the next few weeks, we'll be able to share some of the exciting stuff that we feel like God is is preparing us for uh, for 2023. Uh, it's just really good stuff. But uh, and, and really, I guess some of what I'm sharing today is uh, is around that, uh, in a way. Uh, the, the title of, of what I'm sharing is called Governing with God. So we've just finished, there's no screen for it, so apologies. Um, we've just finished this series, it probably ended up being like 10 weeks, uh, not bad, um, on uh, the fivefold family. So this is Ephesians 4, uh, verse 11 to 16, around that, talking about Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, essentially to bring maturity and, uh, and, and unity to the family of God. Uh, and so we've been talking a lot about that and uh, but really it's looking at those those giftings those callings um, being that that God will appoint certain people to 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 lead that but really it's about activating everyone in the body of Christ to step into the fullness of what God has on their life so every one of you that are here today God has a plan and a calling and a destiny on your life uh, and it's not just an individual thing it's a it's a corporate thing like we all are working together God has a plan for uh, for this city, for this region, for this nation, for the nations. Uh, and it's not just simply about having um, lots of buildings where people gather each week on a Sunday. That's wonderful. That's great. And we want more of that. We want more churches filled with more people loving on Jesus every week. Amen. Uh, but more than that, God's desire is that his kingdom would come and his will would be done so that right across the entire world um, that the, the world would start to look like heaven, essentially, start to look like the kingdom of God. So as we've been talking about the fivefold ministry, we've been talking about it in the context of church family. So we are a, a church family. God has a, a family, and it's, not, it's much bigger than this little group of people that's right across the world. But God relates to his people as a father, relates to children. So we know all of that relational dimension is there in our relationship with God. So we are called children of God. Uh, we are the family of God, all of that. But there's also this uh, bigger sphere of that is, well, what does that look like to be a fivefold family as we live in the earth and live amongst culture and live kind of in this world that we live in, expressing those aspects of who God is, seeing the reality of the kingdom of God come? And uh, there's, hmm, where do I begin? The word church is, uh, it's, it's often used uh, in ways that don't necessarily best reflect the way that is utilized in the Bible. Um, and as you know, I'm a bit of a, a, a word nerd, and there's certain words where I become a bit of like a, we've got we to change that, the meaning of that, not change the meaning of the word, come back to the original meaning. And the word church is kind of one of those words uh, because oftentimes it's, it becomes a bit confusing how we use it, but we often use it in the context of like a building, or oh, that's a church, uh, or a time when Christians gather, oh, that's, that's going, I'm going to church at a church. Um, and then it's like, oh, but we are the church. And, and it's used in all of these different ways, um, but it has a meaning in Scripture Jesus chose that word for a particular purpose and it contained meaning that actually existed in the, the secular Roman culture of the time and Jesus was kind of hijacking that understanding 
which the disciples knew, the people knew, he was taking that understanding and then saying, and this is what the church, my church, my people, this is what my family is going to look like. Okay? So it was actually a, uh, like a governmental word uh, that was used in culture. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to use this word now, and this is what my church is going to be like. So this word, uh, there's kind of, I like to think of it, these two words of oikos and ecclesia, or ecclesia. Um, so these are two Greek words. Obviously, the majority of the New Testament was written in Greek. Um, but essentially, the word oikos is oftentimes translated as household or family. Uh, so when Jesus speaks of the church being a house of prayer, uh, he's, not, he's talking about that my, my people, my family, my, my church will be a household of prayer, a people of prayer, a family of prayer. Not a place where you come to pray, um, but a, a community that is in intimate relational connection with me. Okay, so we, when we uh, hear as the gospel, the good news spread in the early church, it spread from household to household, oikos to oikos. So we understand there's this expression of the church, of God's family, which is a household, a family. And that's kind of what we've been talking about with the series, the fivefold family, so the fivefold oikos, essentially, um, and how we relate to God in that space, how we relate to one another as a family. Um, so that's the household of God. It's the family expression of God's community to the world. But this word ecclesia is, again, was a, was a, a, a word used in Roman culture that represented like a governing body in an area. So like we've got, we've got a Rockingham Council, so that's the kind of the representatives of the larger government of, of Australia, the larger government of Western Australia. And then we have local kind of regional governmental representatives and we'd call them, you know, councillors. And they, that's what they do. They, they kind of govern the political and kind of needs of the community in a particular place. Yeah, we all, we all get that. So that kind of similar wording is what Jesus uses to represent the church. When he uses that word ecclesia, he's taking it from, from that. So if we were to say, we're not going to call ourselves Paradox Church anymore, we're going to call ourselves Paradox Council, uh, would be a similar kind of thing. So we are like a, a governing, we're called to be a governing body. So, and it's a spiritual government. So there's this whole kind of expression of God's family that's not just, hey, us getting together and, and being brothers and sisters and, and loving one another and serving one another and serving the world. There is also this dimension, this expression of the church, which is where God's like, you are actually going to govern the affairs of the nations. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, you know, the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. So we are called not just to make individual disciples, but ultimately to come to a place where the nations are discipled by the church. So that's an incredible thing to, to think about and a massive responsibility. And there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. Um, but when we think of, of governing, it's important that we understand we're, we're doing that as representatives of Jesus, of representatives of his kingdom, so we're not talking about then, oh, cool. Oh, we're in a power position. Yes, we can dominate people. We can tell them what to do. We can tell the government what to do. And that's, that's not the way the kingdom works. That might be the way that an earthly government might work, but the kingdom is a totally different way. So understanding if you, when we hear words like authority and, and governing and dominion, we can start to immediately think of the un godly representations of that, okay? That's not what Jesus represented. That's not what the church is to represent. But what we don't want to do is shy away from the responsibility of the church to spiritually govern the city, the region, the nation, neighbourhoods, families, schools, universities, businesses. We have a role in those places to be an expression of God in that place. It's a big responsibility. So if we understand that we are, there is this oikos expression of the church and then there's the ecclesia expression of the church and we need both. It's really important that we have both. What we, what we don't want to have is, is the kingdom of God expand and then people come under the authority of Jesus, they, then they call themselves Christians and disciples, but then there's no place for them to land in family. It's kind of like having children and then you're just scattering those children around the place. It's like, well, they need to be raised in family. They need a foundation to, to, to build upon. They need a, a place of connection and identification in that. Okay? But I think 
in at least in the western in western culture the family expression of the church the oikos expression is is the dominant expression of the church and i think it's kind of like we've 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 nailed that pretty well we've done a pretty good job of doing that of, of gathering together, of learning and growing and, and maturing and, and being brothers and sisters. And I don't know what your experience of, of church life has been. Um, maybe it's been positive. Maybe you felt like, oh, it hasn't really felt like family. But I know for us, like that's really our heart is to be a, an amazing oikos, to be an amazing family to one another. And it takes all of us partnering in to, to see that happen. But there is this whole other aspect that I'm not sure that we've seen a, a full expression of in Western culture. So oftentimes in Eastern kind of cultures where persecution seems to dominate more, um, the church can't have this kind of expression. Because if you were, you're at risk of, of people storming through the doors and arresting you, murdering you, all of that sort of fun stuff. Like that's, that happens today. Even more than any time in history, the level of persecution against the church in certain nations. Okay, um, so they can't; they don't get to have the same family expression. So the church then naturally starts to take on a more ecclesia-type form because they have to live uh, you know, with relational networks. They become more apostolic in a sense. And it's in homes; it's all hidden; it's underground. So the church in China that was under a lot of oppression probably more so years ago, and the church just exploded. Uh, same thing is happening today in, in places like Iran. The Christian church is growing rapidly. We, we might, the news might talk about the decline of the church, uh, but what we're finding that's, if anywhere, that's in Western countries. In other places, it's like the church is just absolutely exploding because the church has taken on a, more, a, a, form, a missional form that was more closely aligned to the early church. The... The, the benefits that we get to experience in a non-persecuted environment, and again, I know we might feel like, oh, you know, there's, uh, you might feel persecuted because you shared your faith and someone didn't like it. That's probably not the same level that we're talking about in, in when we talk about persecution. That can hurt <laughs> and it can be upsetting, but uh, none of us are facing that level of persecution where our lives are in danger or where, you know, threatened to go to prison and those sorts of things. Not yet. It's coming. It's coming. And uh, part of me is like, that's going to be inconvenient. And part of me is like, awesome, maybe that'll be the thing that will cause the church to wake up and take on its truest, most kingdom expression. Um, but what I would prefer <laughs> is that we begin to function in those ways without the necessity of persecution, uh, without the necessity of those things. So we get to be family but we also get to be a, a missional, kingdom-minded uh, place of influence and impact right across this city, this region, this nation, uh, and, and see transformation come about. Okay, that's, that's my heart. Um, so we've got these, these kind of two expressions. We've got this kind of dominant expression of family, but I think it's about activating this, this kingdom, this ecclesia expression, if that if that makes sense. Hopefully you're, you're tracking. I've lived in this kind of world, so I might assume that, that you understand what I'm talking about, but maybe put up, yeah, or you can write, you can send through a, a, an email, say, what on earth are you talking about? Um, so we, uh, I was at a, a meeting on Friday, so uh, I'm part of a, of a group, it's called uh, West, the West Australian Coalition of Apostolic Leaders, it's a long name. Um, so there is, there's an international coalition, there's an Australia coalition, now there's a Western Australian one. Um, but essentially it's really about activating the apostolic ministry, the prophetic ministry in the church in different places. And, uh, and God has kind of downloaded a strategy to, uh, to this kind of team of people. Um, but really, and so I actually shared on this topic on, on awakening the ecclesia um, on, on Friday. And it was just super encouraging. Um, the, the representatives that are there are representing, you know, significant ministries in our city, uh, not just churches, but kind of parachurch organizations, but really it's about creating a strategy. How can we partner together as the church in Western Australia? So right out to even regions like Kalgoorlie and down to Esperance and different places. How can we partner together to see the kingdom of God come and God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven or in Perth as it is in heaven, as, uh, as some like to say. Because what we have currently is we've got lots of 
families. We've got lots of family expressions everywhere. And, and sometimes what, what people consider a miracle is when the family of God get together and, uh, and they get along. You know, maybe it's like a big kind of family reunion and yet then there's all of this tension, there's all this, well, you know, probably like maybe in, in a family with extended family where there's lots of dysfunction and separation and, and a wedding comes around. And they go, okay, well, we can't, we can't put Aunty Sue with, with, with Gerald because they, they don't get along and then, well, we, and we can't shift, you know, and you're trying to just figure out how can we all get along in this time? And I find that a little perplexing because we're all the family of God. We all worship the same one God represented in Jesus, and yet it seems like this miracle if we can just get together and get along. Uh, and, and for me, I think some of that, the issue of that is because we've created these individual family identities and we've lost our kingdom identity, that there is one king and one representative of heaven and we're all worshipping him. So I can actually lay down my kind of theological nuances because they're actually not that significant in comparison to what Jesus is doing amongst the nations. And we're united under him. We have the we have one Holy Spirit that fills us all. And so, but anyway, <clears throat> yeah. Um, so, so what we're wanting to see, and, and it's interesting, like what God has been sharing, you know, with us um, and, and with our team and what God has been preparing in us is, is something that is going to be rolling out into this, this city. Uh, and this, and the whole of West Australia. So there's a, this big. I'm kind of giving you like snippets of this big, exciting thing that God is doing, really to awaken His church. Um, but again, not to then just not to to dominate and control people, but to to influence the world through. And it's through love. It's through service. It's through through prayer. Um, and it's as a family. But ultimately, there's this much bigger picture that God's wanting to do. So if we understand that the church is a family, but it's also this governing body, uh, and there's certainly you know, strategy as to how God wants to lay that out. I'm reading a little, want to read a little portion of uh, an article written by a guy called Dutch Sheets. Dutch Sheets, that is a name of a person. He's great. Written a lot of great books on intercessory prayer and different things, but he also um, speaks a lot into this topic of oikos and ecclesia. He's great. But he says, in the disciples' day, the, the paradigm, so the kind of the understanding, the thought understanding for an ecclesia was very different to our kind of modern understanding of it. In the disciples' culture, an ecclesia was an assembly of people assigned to govern the affairs of a city, a state, or a nation. In essence, it was a parliament or a congress or what you might call a council, to the Romans, it was an assembly of people sent into a conquered region to govern, but also to alter the culture until it became like that of Rome. They infiltrated government, language, social structure, schools, etc., etc., until the people talked, thought, and acted like Romans. In other words, they brought the culture and ideals of the kingdom of Rome to their assigned region. When Jesus said he would build his church or his ecclesia, he was speaking of a body of people that would legislate spiritually for him, extending his kingdom government and influence on the earth. It's, it's a slightly different picture than a bunch of people who might get together on a Sunday and, and sing songs and learn from the Bible and do that sort of stuff, yeah? That is an expression of his family, absolutely. It's really important. Lots of good stuff happens. Should we keep doing that? Absolutely, when we can. Um, but there's this whole other dimension which requires the activation of everyone in the church to be understanding, wow, I have a role in being part of God's government on the earth. It's huge. I don't know if that freaks you out or if it excites you. It excites me. I'm like, well, I didn't realize I was so important. You're incredibly important to God, not just as an individual that he loves you like a child, but if, if you're not walking in the calling and destiny of God on your life, then there's elements of, of God's plan and purposes that aren't coming about. That's the reality. God doesn't have a plan B. He has a plan A, it's his church. <laughs> it's all of us. It's not me. I'm not the church. Our senior leadership team isn't the church. 
We're not Paradox Church. You are Paradox Church, which is just a name for a group of people in God's church, global church, His children. But every one of us has that role to play. And again, it's bigger than if you think, oh yes, I wanna be in in full-time ministry. Who would like to be in full-time ministry? You are. Congratulations. (laughs) The day you said yes to Jesus, I wanna follow you. He says, awesome, we're now in full-time ministry together. But I'm not paid by the church. Well, you're paid by Jesus. (laughs) He pays you wage just comes through a, maybe a secular company or whatever, it doesn't matter, it's still God's provision in order for you to be positioned in that place, in that neighbourhood, in that workplace, in that school or university. God's like, I've positioned you here to be a representative of my kingdom and to bring about the rule and reign of me in this place. It's amazing. So God's heart is not just to raise a healthy family, but to impact the world. Healthy people and family is unto cultural transformation. His kingdom come and his will be done. This is really, really important that we understand everything that God does in your life is in order that he might do it through your life. So you might be positioned to go, man, I just need some healing. I need some breakthrough. I'm, I'm stuck in an addiction. I've got this pain in my heart. Whatever it might be, God's, you might think what I desire is that God would just set me free from this bondage, this slavery, this, this pain that I'm living in. Okay, And God's heart is to do that. But His plan is much bigger than that. I wanna, he's like, I want to set you free, not just so you can be free, but you can go and be a freedom giver to others. Like it's always unto. We do a lot of what we call the heart journey, inner healing and transformation. But if, it's, if, you're, if the goal is just to get free, it's like, then what? <laughs> so what? But the goal is freedom unto a greater measure of freedom for other people. So we, we learn something. This is again why in the fivefold ministry, that teaching dimension, it's not just that you are changing, but you're understanding how you're changing and why you're changing and what God's doing so that you can then be a change agent for other people around you. So there's always this greater measure. So we say, cool, we get along and we, we are family together and we, and we love one another, we serve one another, we're just connected and it's great and it's wonderful. And if that's all, if, it, if we stop there, then we're, we're stopped short of the fullness of God's desire and plan for His people. So we say, so us, us being a healthy family, we are representing heaven in that, but it's, it's unto the transformation of nations. It's unto the discipleship of nations. What God does in your heart personally to bring salvation to you, He puts His kingdom in you so He can actually extend His kingdom through you. We're seeing this bigger, much bigger, much more significant picture. Again, it's not just, oh, I've received salvation, so one day I'll go to heaven. No, you've received salvation, so today you can bring heaven to earth. It's just that different, it's just a different, it's shifting things around. So when the Messiah... So the the Jewish people were awaiting a Messiah, a Saviour. They were awaiting salvation. So when the Messiah turns up, Jesus turns up on the scene, they're like, the Messiah has come. But when the Messiah arrived on the scene, He was there to instigate the transition from the people of God as a family to the people of God as a governing body of the nations. God already had a family in the Jewish people. He said, these are, these are my children. This is my nation. This is, I've chosen these people to be my people. Okay? They had a family. When Jesus comes to the disciples, he's not, they're not expecting him to come and save them from their sin. They, they were saved from their sin because they had a whole religious uh, process for dealing with sin. They had sacrifices in the temple. They had, you know, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, goat sacrifice, all this sort of stuff. So they're like, actually, we're, we're good with God. We, we, follow, we, we do our best to follow the law. And for everything else, we, we kill a goat or two. Okay, but that was kind of, they were, they were covered in that. That wasn't a big issue for them. So the, what the disciples were expecting was a literal overthrow of the earthly government of the time. When the Messiah came, they're hanging out, they're waiting. Yes, cool, Jesus, the Messiah is here. His name is Jesus, the anointed one. 
Finally, he's here and at some point, he's gonna raise up an army and we're gonna start killing people in order that we can be in control because they're under oppression. So their understanding of the role of the Messiah was not for personal salvation from the bondage of sin, but corporate salvation from the bondage of ungodly worldly governments. I only thought about it the other day, but you know, when Jesus comes and he gets arrested and one of the disciples cuts off the ear of, of one of the guards. Now you think about it, we're talking about fishermen, tax collectors, dudes. these aren't guys that were naturally walking around with swords strapped to their side, okay? They were, you know, they're packing heat, you would say. So you've got to think about that. In their mind, they are prepared for war and they're waiting, cool, so... You know, they asked Jesus, you know, the, the disciples are fighting. It's like, you know, we're just deciding who can sit at your right hand. They're not thinking about in the heavenly realms. They're not thinking spiritually. They're thinking, no, literally, Pilate is going to be overthrown. He's going to be kicked off and you're going to be sitting in that, in that seat. And maybe one of us could sit either side of you. How's that? Obviously, Jesus reveals my kingdom's not of this world. It's a heavenly kingdom. It's different. But that was their expectation, their understanding of what was about to happen. Different picture of what they were expecting. So they're expecting that and then Jesus comes. So that's the understanding of what the Messiah was actually to bring governmental rule on the earth. Now it's not earthly government, it's spiritual government, but it still will have the impact of the nations being ruled by God. How are we going? Is this shifting thought patterns a bit for some, maybe? Yeah. What I'm saying is it's just the whole church thing is much bigger than what we've understood. So we need to understand our individual identity. And again, often as family, like we, we, we do that. What's my identity in Christ? And we spend a lot of time kind of wrestling through and learning. And that's really, really important to understand your identity in Christ. But there is also this whole bigger corporate identity of the church. And to understand you are an individual, but you're part of a family and you're also part of his church, his governing body. So you have multiple identities. So distinguishing, distinguish me, distinguish me, distinguishing between who we are as God's family and who we are as God's governing body in this region. We need to distinguish between those two. So we are family and we are church. So the call of God upon the church is not to rescue people from the culture, but to send people out into the culture to transform it. You are an agent of transformation. So God has established his church to rule the nations on his behalf. You know, Ephesians 6, it speaks about, you know, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly realms, like this kind of big spiritual warfare dimension that the Apostle Paul is, is talking about. But I wonder... When was the last time that you saw with your eyes a principality or power? I know some of you do, the prophetic seers. But for the rest of us, it's like, I don't know if I've ever seen one. Like if you've seen a, a principality, like, what, what, what's that? Like a big giant demon in the sky or something like that. Oh, I've, I've never seen one. Most of us don't see them, but most of us um, see the impact of what happens from those things. So essentially, these, these spiritual entities um, influence the philosophy of people. They influence the thought life. They, they, will lead, uh, they will lead and impact culture through what people think and therefore through how people behave. So we understand, so this is like <laughs> the basics of 101 of spiritual warfare, but this is kind of what happens. So you can find in certain regions and places, maybe there's, there's particular ways of thinking in a particular place, a particular country, a particular culture. And you say that's influenced by, by leaders and different things, but oftentimes it's primarily influenced by these principalities and powers, these spiritual entities that are impacting the thought life and the philosophy of people groups and, and regions. Okay. So we understand that there's this, role of the church needs to be the one influencing the thought life of the people. Not by brainwashing people, not by controlling people's thoughts, but by representing the voice of God 
So it happens through prayer, it happens through cultural infiltration, it happens through all different kind of strategic ways. And whether we have a large amount of influence or a small amount of influence, our role is to be, is to utilize that influence to see the kingdom of God come. What's God's thoughts on this issue? What's God's perspective on this issue? What we find is usually when it comes to decisions that are made in a nation, politicians make decisions based upon what's going to keep them in power. Let's be honest. It's, a, it's, a, it's popularity. It's a popularity contest in a way. And again, you might have ideals as an individual politician, you might have ideals as a, as, a, as a political party, but if you're not in power, then it doesn't matter what ideals you, you have, you're not going to be able to influence anything. So they're playing this popularity game in order to stay in a place of power. Again, the danger is if we think like a politician, then what we want is power in order to have influence. Jesus says, beware of the leaven of Herod and the Pharisees. Beware of that kind of political way of thinking. That's how you got to be. Whereas we have authority not to dominate, not to domineer, not to control, but to influence and impact. And that's at every level of culture that we're in. So the government then says, we need to make a decision on this because there's this cultural movement towards something and we say all right the people are crying out for us to represent them on this particular issue the church looks at that and says that's an ungodly issue that if we were to vote on that and make that a standard that's an that's not a kingdom standard that's not God's heart for his for his people that's not God's desire for the nations and the church says hey no we, we don't like that and the culture says we don't care and the politicians say, we don't care. Because the church isn't in a place of political power, nor, nor maybe should it be. The church isn't in a place of cultural power because we are this isolated little groups of families scattered around the place. So we're not seeing the culture of Australia look like the culture of heaven because the church is spending all of its time extracting itself from culture having its little kind of Christian club and not impacting culture. So we don't have the apostolic dimension at work. We don't have the prophetic dimension at work in the nation. We're not out there influencing culture. We're not seeing as whether I'm just, I'm a stay-at-home mum or I'm a CEO of a multinational business company, I have an opportunity to influence my little sphere with the thoughts of God, with the heart of God, with the plans of God. If every single Christian takes that seriously and doesn't say, oh no, my job is to rock up on a Sunday and then really just to try and be a good person and avoid conflict and even maybe being seen as to be a Christian the rest of the week. And then I come back, oh, it's great to be here because I can be free to worship Jesus. I can be free and it's wonderful and it's great. But God, is, God cares about what happens on Monday. And he cares about what happens on Tuesday and Wednesday. And Thursday. He cares about your neighbours that don't know Jesus. He cares about your work colleagues that don't know Jesus. He cares about a nation that's heading and, and developing ungodly ways of behaving and believing. God cares about that. He's not, he's not just, you know, I just forget about it. Forget about nations and just wait for me to return. And then you'll be rescued and you'll be great. And it'll be fun. And I'll destroy all of those bad people. God loves those bad people. bad people. He loves them. He died for them. He wants to restore them to his family. That's his desire. So we've got to shift again our, our mentality out of that inwardly thinking to the outwardly expressing the reality of the kingdom of God. We are priests and kings. So King David was this great representation of someone who was a king, but he was also a priest. So priests would minister to God and minister to the people. Okay. Again, I think we get that priestly function in the church. Yeah, we know we can love on God, we can worship God, we can obey God, we can do all of that sort of wonderful stuff. And we know how to love one another. We get the priestly function. But there's this whole other dimension of the kingly role, which is influencing, leading, impacting the world. Revelation 5, 9 to 10 says, And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you 
to take the scroll and to open its seals. This is Jesus. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That's a prophetic picture of the fullness of where we are heading as the people of God. That we would be a kingdom of priests, We'd be, there would be a kingdom and priest to the God. So we're operating in this, we're not the king, Jesus is the king. We're not the great high priest, Jesus is the great high priest. But we represent him on the earth. It's all good? I just feel like it's important to prophetically prepare you for what's coming. <clears throat> So we, we use this language like spheres of influence. It has a, a, a Greek word um, and it's represented in the Bible. It's called a metron. Anyone ever heard that word metron? Yeah. So it's, it just simply means it's a measure, but we talk about a measure of, of, of influence that you have. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10.13 says, But we will not boast beyond limits, but we will boast only in regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us to reach even to you. So that area of influence is, is in the Greek is the word metron. So essentially, every one of us has a metron. Every one of us has a sphere of influence or a sphere of authority in our lives, it could be that a person is a parent. So they have a, their metron is immediately their, their children. They have a responsibility to govern their, their family well. God might put you in a position of authority that you are maybe within a friendship group, that you're the person that, that people look to to lead that, that friendship group, to set culture. Or you might say, God's like, I'm here in this friendship group. I have an opportunity to influence the culture of this friendship group to reflect the kingdom of God. It might be that you are a community leader or you're in a business and you're, maybe you're, you lead that business or maybe you lead a team within that business. But you might think of that, say, well, my responsibility is to lead this team that oversees a production line in a factory. Now, if you think earthly thoughts, you'd say, yeah, that's your role. And you have a responsibility even before God to do that job well. So you don't say, oh, I'm just here for the kingdom, say, so. I'll let the production line fail and, you know, because I'm going to, no, 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 no. You, you steward that well. You represent God well by being, by working hard, by showing up on time or early and, you know, because you're representing the character of God. But you can also see, but I also have a position of influence where I could shift the culture of this part of this business to represent heaven. Now, the strategy to do that is, is needs to come from heaven, Okay. Because so, again, I think we think family, so we think, how can, I, how can I, you know, we think Christian activities. We think, I'll do a Bible study, I'll do something. No, 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 don't, you don't need to do any of those things. So at this meeting on Friday, I'll share a little story. Business leader was sharing um, how he has seen some of this sort of stuff play out in his business. So he, he runs two companies. Uh, one of his companies, he has 25 employees. It's not a Christian company, and they're not all Christian employees. Um, but God, he starts seeking the Lord. God, how can I see the kingdom, kingdom come in my business? Uh, and, and God speaks to him about um, shifting around. So instead of doing a five-day work week, he's like, I want you to transition to a four-day work week and I want you to pay your staff for the fifth day. Financially wise, not on paper. <laughs> and, he's like, and what's that day going to be for? And it'll be a day of, for personal development, it might be if they, just for them to spend time with their family, spend time for a husband to spend time with his wife, to go and serve at a charity somewhere, just to do some, to do some learning, some training, some extra study. But I, I want you to do this thing. So he says yes to God. He's obedient in that. Okay. The first thing, obviously, as you would expect, their productivity and, and finances increased quarter on quarter since doing that. So more money is coming in, and yet he's paying his staff to, to essentially to work less. Two brief stories that he told. One was, uh, there's probably a couple of marriages that were restored from employees in his company because a husband was able to spend, instead of working, you know, 80 hours a week and not seeing his wife, he was able to spend a, a day with his wife and, and, and restore and just build connection. Uh, there was a, a couple who, the, uh, they they'd got pregnant, obviously not, not a Christian couple, uh, that got pregnant and the wife was considering having an abortion. 
because he was able to be home, because they were able to journey through that process, through all of that, they ended up deciding to keep the baby. So I'm hearing this story and I'm like, I'm almost in tears. I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. I'm not in business, okay? I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in this kind of world, but I know that God has plans to radically alter businesses and communities through these ways. Now, is He saying to the people, all right, we're gonna, I'm gonna give you a day off for you to study the Bible. I'm gonna give you a day off and we're gonna have a, you know, a prayer meeting. He's just saying, no, no, I just, I just wanna bless you with time and I'm gonna trust as I'm obedient to God, He's gonna do that work in you. But the whole culture of that company starts to change. Now, do people, and, and inevitably, people are gonna meet Jesus through that process. But it's not all about get them through the door. It's about getting heaven into people's world and immersing them in the culture of heaven. And things then start to change. So I'm just like, yeah, every business needs that. To understand that. And, and this is a guy who's like, he's saying, I, I, wanna, I wanna make money. Like you start a business to make money. You don't want to make money if, if, if then you start a charity. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Yeah, 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 we all know. But really, you, you're going to put in the hard yards because you want to make money. And this guy, he's sharing about, because I want generational wealth for my family and for the companies to go on. But then he's bringing in this dimension, but God has a plan for my business because I've yielded my business to the Lord and I'm trusting Him that He is going to lead my business, not me. He has greater wisdom, greater understanding, greater strategies. Okay, and then you bring in that prophetic dimension that God might lead a business and say, you need to make this decision here. Well, I'm gonna trust you, Lord, and make that decision that all of a sudden there's greater productivity, greater profit, whatever it might be. And at the same time, the culture of heaven is coming in and Im impacting and influencing. Oh, that just gets me so excited. <laughs> but the reality is that's the CEO of a company of 25 people, it, but... You, you, we all need to decide what is my metron? What is my sphere of influence? And you might have multiple in your life and God might be calling you into a place. You could be in a sports team. You say, well, I'm not the coach. doesn't mean you can't influence culture. How you love, how you celebrate people, how you encourage, how you keep the focus on, on, on positivity. Like there's just so many different little things that we, that we learn and it doesn't have to be you can prophesy over people and not say, thus saith the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Say, man, I just see this thing on your life and I just, I just really want to just celebrate you. Just, I, 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 actually, I just see how significant you, you know, you're always, when, you, when you're going for God, you always get, get 100%. I just want to say, that's, that's really awesome and encouraging. And you don't understand the power of words to put life into people. And you might say, is that, did they turn around and say, oh, can I become a Christian? No, but that's okay. Because heaven has come. The perspective of God has come. Have you done your job? Yes. Do we want everyone to meet Jesus one day? Absolutely. But in the meantime, our role is to scatter seed. I was thinking this morning, it's like we wanna, we wanna see fruitfulness and what we really want is just mature trees. Can we just plant mature trees? Like we have that, we're still, you know, uh, um, finishing off our house and, so we've got garden beds and things like that. But you just really love mature trees because it's kind of like going from dirt to tree. <gasps> Lovely. It's like rolling lawn. It's like dirt, lawn. Wonderful. The thought of planting seeds and waiting for them to grow and expecting them to grow and hoping that they grow and then they grow up to, into what you want. It's like, that's a whole different scenario. But what Jesus says is scatter seed. It's the parable of the sower. God, everywhere that you go, just be scattering that seed, scattering that seed. And he doesn't say, make, find fertile soil and just focus your energy just on that. He said, no, everywhere you go, rocky ground, here's some seed. You know, stony ground, wherever it is, everywhere that you go, you're scattering the seeds of heaven. That's what we're called to do. And all of a sudden we'll go, mm, that turned out to be fertile soil. Three of my work colleagues are interested in following Jesus. Awesome, fertile soil. Another five don't care at all. That's okay. You know, wherever it is. My sports team don't want anything to do with Jesus. My, like it's just, you don't know what's gonna happen. And God is the one who's responsible for that fruitfulness. Your job is to scatter seed, okay? And then be present and to pray for the, uh, for the harvesters <laughs> to go out into the harvest field, to understand that, man, God, is, God cares more about your non-Christian work colleagues than you do. 
He cares more about your non-Christian family members. He, he just loves them way more than what, what you do. And he has a plan and a purpose. And our job is to yield to his plan and purpose. So the question is, where do I have authority? Where do I have influence? And where can I use my position to impact people and culture for God's glory and for kingdom expansion? Now, part of our, our, our thoughts into next year is really, how do, we, how do we equip you more to do those sorts of things? Uh, my heart's desire is to equip you to live in the majority of the time that you spend, which is outside of a corporate gathering. I understand some of you might feel a call to, to ministry in this space. That's awesome. We want to equip you and, and develop you in that space as well. Majority of you won't be in full-time ministry in the context of the family of God. Majority of you will be in full-time ministry outside of that context. Okay, And that is a much more diverse context in the in the in the church, in the Oikos family environment. It's kind of controlled. We know what to expect. We've learned lessons and things. We can, we can do that. Being out in the business sphere, being out in the community sphere, being in media, education, wherever you are, that's a whole different kind of context. But what we want is kingdom-mindedness. What we want is prophetic insight. What we want is apostolic activation in those places. So that's kind of part of our plan moving into next year is how can we gather and, and equip you and, and mentor and support one another? Because again, there's no, there's no experts necessarily, but how can we all be supporting one another so we can actually see this happen? If there's, I don't know how many people are in this room today, but just say Paradox Church, there's maybe, I don't know, 150 people in our community. For me, that's, if 150 people got activated in kingdom, ministry, and mentality, man, the exponential impact of that is massive. We could see this city changed. We can see this region transformed in our lifetime. I have no doubt. Hi. She's into it. But we've got to, we've got to be keeping our eyes on that as the goal. Amen. Heaven is our goal. Heaven on earth is our goal. <laughs> We're not waiting one day for Jesus to return. You are the church. You are all in full-time ministry. Can I get an amen? amen? So I am the church. I'm in full-time ministry. Amen. God has, has positioned you strategically in different spaces that he wants you to influence and impact for his glory, for his kingdom's sake, for his name's sake. Amen? Amen. You must say, oh, but I don't know, what do I have to offer? You've got heaven to offer. You've got Jesus to offer. The likelihood is you probably don't even see the significance of what's on your life, which is why you need a family to gather around you that can prophesy over you. They can call out the gold and the glory. <laughs> They can get your eyes off what you haven't done and put your eyes onto what God is planning to do. So we need one another in that process and that journey. But it starts with that shift to go, wow, I'm significant in the body of Christ. I'm significant in the kingdom of God. And God wants to use me, little old me, to do something so significant. It's amazing. Let's pray. Father, I'm, I'm excited about the shift that is taking place in the body of Christ, Lord, just to awaken us to this significant dimension of kingdom expansion, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are awakening the church. You're awakening your ecclesia. You're equipping us, Lord, to be an unstoppable force on the earth. That was your words, Jesus, that you spoke to Peter. And he says, you, Peter, are a rock. And on this rock, I will build my ecclesia. And the gates of hell, the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So we thank you, Jesus. And we acknowledge that you have won.
that you have won the battle. Even as you came declaring the good news of the kingdom, that means the good news of your victory, the victory of your kingdom, and that your kingdom is being established on the earth. So we're not here to hide away, God. We are here to influence, impact, transform. That we are on that winning team with you, Jesus. Not so we can sit back and go, oh yes, I'm a winner. It's like, no, because we... The world needs to know that you've been victorious, Lord, and you're inviting them into your victory. And we thank you, Lord, that you've invited us not to be part of your family, but also part of your kingdom, part of your church. That we have a calling and a destiny, not just individually and personally, but also corporately, Lord, to to lovingly and sacrificially impact this city, our neighbourhoods, Lord, this region, this nation, God, for Your glory and for people's sake, Lord. Father, where the world has, has seen a picture of Christianity that hasn't fully represented You, Jesus. Where the focus has been more on people's unrighteousness than Your righteousness. people's brokenness rather than on your wholeness Lord you are the king of your kingdom and rightly Lord you are establishing your kingdom on the earth this is your creation Lord you're restoring it you're winning it back and you've called us to be part of that glorious privileged place of following you out into the world to see lives transformed, families transformed, communities transformed, cities transformed, this nation transformed, Lord. I felt like this morning just to give an invitation to surrender. that we would actually just surrender ourselves to the Lord, just yield to Him and posture ourselves to follow Him in this way. Whether we need to lay some things down in order to be positioned just to be used by God for His plans and purposes. So maybe you want to want to kneel if you're able or just even just position yourself in some way. You're welcome even to come down to the front if you want. But just say, Lord, I want to be used by you. I don't want to just be a, like a Sunday Christian rocking up every week. I want to be a, a Monday Christian and a Tuesday Christian and a Wednesday Christian and a Thursday and a Friday and a Saturday. And, and, and that Sundays would become the culmination of celebration of what you have done throughout the week because you're doing good things, Lord. We see you doing good things, Lord. Lives are being changed and transformed, but there's this greater measure, Lord. There's a greater measure of impact that you're calling us into, Jesus. There's a greater measure of transformation, Lord. Even as we've seen in this community, so many hearts transformed. But I feel like what you're saying is, Lord, yes, you know how to transform hearts. Now let's go out and transform communities. You know how to transform hearts. Let's go and trans- out and transform this city, this region, this nation. Thank you for the unto, Lord. Even as it feels like 2023 is like an unto season, Father. Even as someone shared with me last week just a prophetic picture that they saw in worship of a, of a rose coming into bloom, Lord. There's like there, there is a, a blooming dimension, Father. And Lord, we're not glorious. You are glorious. We're not taking credit, Lord. You get all the credit, Jesus. 
but we're not going to shy away from the work that you're doing and the work that you're calling us to do individually and corporately as a family. So we thank you that you are awakening your church, you're awakening your bride in greater measure, Lord. And it's not to downplay the existing church that we have, Lord, and the glorious, the wonderful expression of family that is there. But your desire is to see the expression of your church start to manifest on the earth. So we just pray, Jesus. Say, Jesus, have my hands. Jesus, have my words. Jesus, have my ears. Jesus, have my feet. Jesus, would you have my thoughts? Jesus, would you have all of my heart, all of my life, all of my dreams, all of my desires? Jesus, would you have every part of me to be used for your glory, for your plan, for your purposes, for your desires? Even Father, as we may have at one time in our life kneel before you and given our lives to you in order to receive that invitation into your family. Let's feel this morning like it's an opportunity for us to kneel, surrender before you in order to receive the invitation into your kingdom. That we're not waiting for heaven to come one day we're not waiting to go there one day. We're waiting. We're like, no, Lord, we're going to make it happen today. Because you've said, this is my desire. And we say, Lord, make that our desire. Holy Spirit, would you infuse us with creativity, prophetic insight, Lord, to take whatever little sphere of influence we have and say, how could I use my place in this family, this community, this workplace, whatever it is, how could I use this for your glory, Jesus? How could you use me to influence these people, this environment, to look more like heaven? How can I love my boss? How could I serve my co-workers? How could I bless my neighbours? And we thank You, Lord, that every one of us has something to give. We don't need to be highly intelligent or highly skilled. We don't need to be wealthy. We don't need any of those things, Lord. We have all that we need inside of us by Your Spirit. So we just pray, Holy Spirit, would you flow? Holy Spirit, would you move? Holy Spirit, would you use us? Father, I'm just so excited for the awakening of your church in greater measure, Lord. Not just that we would continue to hear stories from other nations, Lord, of, of amazing things happening, Lord. I want to see that in my life. I want to see that in in my local shopping centre, Lord, in my neighbourhood. Wherever I go, Lord, I want to see You at work because You are at work, Lord. You are at work, God. Give us eyes to see what You're doing. And show us how we can partner with You, Lord, to see Your kingdom come and Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would continue to activate your people in the apostolic gifting, Lord, in the prophetic gifting, in the evangelistic gifting, in the teaching gifting, in the shepherding gifting, Lord. And to understand that that's not just to be used in the family, that's to be used in the kingdom, in the church, Lord. That we might not just be looking to how could I shepherd a small group of Christians, but how could I shepherd a region? How can I shepherd a business? How can I use my teaching gift to to bring insight and understanding 
How can I use my prophetic gifting to to help shape the direction of a company, to help shift the atmosphere over my neighbourhood? Awaken our dreams, Lord. Awaken the dreams in our heart, Lord. Shift our perspective, Lord. Give us eyes to see that the plans that you have are are far greater than ours, Lord. a blessing over your people that are here today that are maybe watching this later on I just bless you as you go I bless you as you go as sent ones into the world as ambassadors for the kingdom of God as representatives representatives of the king of heaven in Jesus and I and I bless you I bless the giftings upon your life I bless the calling upon your life I bless everything that the Lord is doing in you but I just pray Lord would you let it start to flow through your people God healing breakthrough signs wonders and miracles following your people everywhere that they go thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Lord Amen bless you family